All right, guys, good evening. Hey, we've got some more brisket back there. I just got to say, Chad is back there praying over the food and multiplying it. And so I think we're going to send some guys home with some brisket tonight. Uh, So just be ready for that. Speaking of Chad, I really appreciated his word last week about being a man of the Word of God and sending our roots down into the Scriptures, being like a tree planted by streams of water that bear fruit in every season. And it's because, again, we're men whose roots go down into the Word of God. Tonight I want to talk to you for a few minutes about running with endurance, running a strong race. You know, on the very first night, we started with Paul's words from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. When Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the, I have kept the faith. And I was thinking this week about, about Paul and, and Jesus. Jesus and Paul were both masters at taking spiritual truths, spiritual realities, uh, ways things actually work in the kingdom, and they were, they were brilliant at offering those truths to us in ways that we could get our hands on. That's why they were always using metaphors, and they were, Jesus was always talking in parables, because they want us to get our hands on spiritual truths so that we can apply them to our day-to-day lives. And one of Paul's favorite metaphors in the New Testament is he compares our Christian journey, the Christian life, to a race. We see it here in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He unpacks it even more in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so we're going to put this on the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I love that phrase. I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I run as a man who's running in a way to get the prize. And then I think the writer of Hebrews sums it up really well. In Hebrews chapter 12, the scripture says, let us run with endurance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so time and time again, in the scriptures, we see the Christian life, again, uh, presented as a race. And then we're challenged, we're exhorted to run that race with perseverance and with endurance. Now, quick poll here. How many runners do we have in the room? How many of you would consider yourself to be an avid runner? (laughs) Okay, so a handful of you. And the rest of you, you drive on by and wave, don't you? You drive on by, you're like, suckers. But no matter, I think we have like five runners with us. And it's okay. But wherever you're at on this spectrum, this running spectrum, whether you're one of the three or four or five guys that love running, or if you're like the rest of us over here, who, who might even consider yourself to be allergic to running, No matter where you're at on that continuum, we're all challenged to view life as this race. And so that's what I want to unpack uh, tonight. I want to talk about how we can learn 
to run with endurance because life is a long race. We know that. Not only is life a marathon, it's an ultra marathon. I mean, it keeps going and going and going. Now, you may not be able to tell from looking at me, but I'm actually a former ultra marathoner. I know it's hard to believe. Okay, I'll be more honest with you. I signed up for one ultra marathon and it about killed me. And then I promptly retired. So to say I'm an ultra marathoner is a total stretch, but I tried one time. And I want to I share some of the story with you, a very condensed version of the story. What I really want to get to tonight is what God taught me along the way through that ultra marathon. Because he taught me some really key truths. And I've, I've had to come back to those truths time and time again when I was navigating some really difficult and hard seasons. And so I never, uh, I never considered myself a runner growing up. I wasn't a runner through my 20s. But when I, when I got into my 30s, I heard about this race in Leadville, Colorado. Called, <laughs> this side of the room groans. It's called the Leadville Trail 100 Run. It's a 100-mile ultramarathon that starts in downtown Leadville. And then the course goes out through the mountains and over the mountains for 50 miles. And if you make it there in time, you earn the reward of turning around and coming all the way back. It's a great prize. And so for some reason, I just was so intrigued by this idea. I couldn't shake it. And so I didn't tell anybody about it, but just in my own mind, I started picturing myself attempting and finishing this race. And so I upped my mileage from one. This is no, no joke. Seriously, I was, I'd go out for a one-mile jog at the time. But I started slowly working my mileage up from one mile to, to three to four to five. I got up to eight, nine miles. I was feeling good. And the more I ran, the more I thought, man, I'm, I want to try this. But I knew the real challenge would be convincing my wife. Because if I didn't convince my wife, Ashley, that this was a good idea, the whole thing would be just shot down right away. And so I stalled and stalled. I did not want to ask her because I did not want to hear no. Honestly, I didn't want her to laugh at me. But I didn't want to hear no, so I kept putting it off until one day I finally mustered up the courage to approach her. And I, I sheepishly said, Ash, I've been thinking about this idea. What do you think about me trying the Leadville Trail 100? And I kind of braced for it. I was, ready for her, I was ready for her to just crush this idea right away. It wasn't practical. There were so many reasons why I shouldn't have done it. But she looked up at me, and she had this, she had this sparkle in her eyes, and she said, I bet you could do it. Oh, her words just exploded like fireworks in my soul and stoked the passion, stoked the fire even more. And so I continued to pray about it, which I had been praying a lot about it. I continued to process with my friends and mentors and sages. And so I had quite a few people praying with me. And long story short, I really came to believe that I was getting green lights all the way around. And so I committed. I pushed click, the hardest click ever but I pushed click and officially signed up for the Leadville Trail 100 run. And so for the next 12 months, I followed 
a very rigorous, uh, difficult training journey, which essentially had me running countless miles in the mountains. Uh, It was really quite amazing, but it was hard, and I stuck to it for the year. And after the year, I felt like I was ready to go. And so on August 22nd, 2015, I show up in downtown Leadville at 3 a.m., ready to start this race. And I look, I look around, and I was surrounded by seven or 800 other crazy people. But there was one distinct difference. As I looked around at these other runners, elite runners, it became obvious to me that they actually looked like elite runners. <laughs> I could not, I was embarrassed, I'll be honest with you. They're tall, and they're just ripped, and they had these massive calves you know, runner's calves, and I've never been accused of being tall, and I certainly don't have massive running calves. And so I'm looking around just thinking, what, what have I done? These guys are like elite studs. And you've got this, I'm built like a wrestler, not an ultramarathon runner. And these guys were, were warming up, and they were running, and they looked so smooth with their running strides. And again, I I realize, I know enough about myself to know I don't have a smooth running stride. I don't even have a smooth walk, guys. (laughs) This is a true story. Uh, Recently, Pastor Andrew Arndt said, Jenkins, you walk like you just got off a horse. He said, he goes, what's wrong? You walk like a cowboy, all bow-legged. And I said, I said, Andrew, I spent half my life in a wrestling stance. How do you expect me to walk? But I, I knew I didn't look the part as these other ultramarathon guys. But I did believe I was going to finish this race. I, I just believed I was going to do it. And so at 4 a.m., they fire the gun, and we run off into the dark of the night. We're running through the mountains. And fast forward a couple hours, the sun is now up. It's about 7 o'clock, and I'm running down the first mountain pass at mile 20. And I felt great. Confidence was just surging. I just kept picturing the finish line and meeting my wife with this just salty kiss at the finish line. And I, I was feeling so good at mile 20. And then I was coming down this really steep section of the pass. And then all of a sudden, it felt like somebody stabbed me in the side of the knee with a knife. Just pain shot through my entire leg. And so I looked like a train wreck trying to come to a stop. But I, I managed to stop and kind of check out my knee Then I tried to walk and jog, and I realized it was bad news. I I could tell something was really jacked up in my knee. But I was still up on the mountain. I I didn't have a choice. And so I worked my way slowly down off this pass, got on flatter ground, and I was able to start jogging again. And I told myself, hey, after training this long, I'm just, (laughs) I'm going to keep going. I knew there would be pain coming in. And so I kept going, made it to mile 25, 30, 35. When I got to mile 40, I was a hurting unit. By by mile 40, I had found two large sticks in the woods. (laughs) And I was using those sticks essentially as trekking poles because I was struggling to put pressure on my right leg. Now, a wise person at, at this point... A wise person, a wise man would say, I think I'm going to call it good. But I decided, you know what? 
I'm just going to keep going until they pull me off the course. And so I left the aid station at mile 40, and I set off again. But this time, I was heading into the belly of the beast. I was heading towards Hope Pass. And that sounds, isn't that, there's not very much hope to Hope Pass when you actually see it. But Hope Pass is the hardest uh, section of the trail. It's a 10-mile stretch. You go five miles up to a high elevation of 12,600 feet, and then you come five miles back down that are just brutal. The trail is really gnarly. It's really hard. And so I left, and I started working my way up Hope Pass, and it was, it, it was certifiably ugly. I mean, it was the, the picture of ugly, me trying to come up this pass. But I made it to the top at mile 45. And at, when I got to the top, I literally was using my poles as crutches. I, I could not put pressure on my knee. And it was about to get worse because I started to have problems with my vision. So here I am surrounded by some of the finest views on the, in the planet. It's amazing views. But I, I, my eyes were blurry. It's like when you look at a really bright light and you, you just see these bright blurry spots. That's, what all, that's all I could see. And I could barely walk. And I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to get off of this mountain? And that was the moment I realized maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> I had this thought, maybe I should have worked on my golf game for the last year. And I was like, oh God, help, help, help me just take the next step. And so the next two and a half hours, just brutal. I don't know another word for it. It's just brutal. One step in front of the other. My eyes were getting worse. I was trying to down as much nutrition and sugar. It wasn't working. It was actually getting worse. And so I get down off of the mountain. I'm about mile 49 at this point. And my body's shutting down. I can feel it. And I, I still had another mile to go of just kind of flat. The trail went through the woods for another mile. And I realized I'm not going to make it. I can't make it another mile. And so I decide to go off trail. <laughs> There's a groan on this side now. Ugh. I went off trail because I remembered there was a road somewhere off to my left. And I was going to go find it and try to flag somebody down. And so I'm... I'm stumbling through the woods like a zombie. And miraculously, I come upon these two people that are camping in this very remote campground. And it was a young man who was about 20 years old and his girlfriend who was about 20 years old. And they're thinking they're alone in the mountains. And they were acting like they were alone in the mountains. <laughs> they were all over each other. And the last thing this boyfriend expected <laughs> is for me to come out of the woods. So I come out of the woods just looking like absolute death. <laughs> and I looked at his face. I will never forget the look on his face. He turned as pale as I looked. He was scared out of his mind. And he stood up, and he got in front of his girlfriend. He goes, who are you, and where did you come from? And I said, well, I've been running for 50 miles. It's just a crazy story. I said, I need some help. I need you to give me a ride. And so he ended up being a great, uh, nice young man. He said, okay, get in my truck. And he drove me the final mile where I was able to 
there was a medical team, thankfully, that evaluated me. I was able to get some initial care there. Then they sent me to the hospital. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so when I was at the top of Hope Pass and I was praying, God, was this a good idea? I think the answer was no. Uh, but he let me do it. And he helped me survive. And so my race was over. I had a short stint in the hospital, bounced back quickly. It took my knee a long time to recover. But in the months after this experience, I really wrestled with disappointment. I really believed I was going to finish. And I felt like a failure. Isn't that crazy? I made it 50 miles, but still in my heart, I felt like a failure. I felt like I just totally blew it. And so I was just wrestling with disappointment over this. But the more I processed it, two things became so clear, so clear. Number one, I realized I'm never doing this again. Like, <laughs> that was a conviction that was formed very deep inside of me. But number two, what I started to realize is I processed this with God. Didn't process it myself. I processed it with God. He started to essentially show me, Gabe, you were so focused on the finish line. I was so focused on what I wanted to teach you along the way. He was showing me that he was far more interested in what he wanted to form on the inside of me, what he wanted to teach me, rather than if I would just had success or not. And that's true for all of us, isn't it? As men, we can tend to look at the finish line. We have these dreams and these goals and all of these things that we can run after. And those are okay. Those can be good. But let's not lose sight of the reality that we have a God that goes with us. And he's far more interested in, again, what he's forming on the inside of us and what he's teaching us. And so he, there are five primary things. The more I process this experience, there are five primary things takeaways that I really believe that God wanted to teach me. And what I didn't see at the time after the Leadville experience, what I didn't know is I was actually heading into a really challenging season of life, a difficult season of life that felt like another Leadville 100, minus the running, minus all of the, that stuff. But it was, it was hard, it was difficult. And when I was navigating the season of life, God continued to encourage me by bringing me back to these core principles. And so I've, I've had to practice this. I've had to work and apply these things, but I believe they work. They truly do help us to run with endurance. And so I want to offer these just quickly to you. There are five ones. For the sake of time, we can't go into depth. But here's the first one. Is to learn from people who have run ahead of you. Learn from people who have run ahead of you. One of the first things I did when I decided to run the Leadville 100 is I started talking to other people who have run it. And I started peppering them with questions because I wanted to know what I had gotten myself into. And so their wisdom and their experiences helped me so much just to know how to prepare, know what to expect. And that's true for us in life. No matter what season no matter what part of the course you're running right now, there are men who have already run those miles. And we're wise. We're wise, guys, 
if we'll recognize what season of life we're in, and then we'll go after those guys, and we'll chase that wisdom, as Pastor Daniel talks about, and we'll ask questions, and we'll learn from men who have gone ahead of us. I look around this room, I see men with gray hair. You guys are sages. You've, you've run a faithful race. You've logged miles, and we need you. We need your wisdom. We need to learn from your experience, but we've got to be willing to ask. Jeremiah 6.16, this is a great verse. Jeremiah 6.16 reads, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Here's the second one. Pay attention to what you're carrying. For the Leadville race, I was allowed a runner's vest. And what I did is I went through that vest in meticulous detail. I wasn't about to carry anything that wasn't vital, wasn't going to do it. And so uh, I just started, even the night before the race, like, ah, I don't think I really want to carry that. No, I don't want to carry that for 100 miles. And I just started ditching things. And that is something else that's so important for us in life is to recognize, hey, what are you carrying in this season? What are the stresses? What are the pressures? What are the burdens? What are the fears? What do you have loaded on your back in this season of life? You know, sometimes I think we, we, we're carrying so much on our back, we don't look like we we're setting out for an ultramarathon. We look like we're going on an overnight camping trip where we've got the, all the what-ifs about the future and all of the fears and all of the stuff that we just carry. And meanwhile, Jesus is saying, please, let me carry that. Let me carry that. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But notice this. Jesus did say that his yoke is easy, but he certainly did not say that the trail would be easy. Yes, the burden is light. Yes, his yoke is easy, but the trail isn't. In fact, he told us, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have seasons, and I have, and I will have, where it feels like you're just on the incline again and again and again. And because the trail can be so hard, and because life can be so demanding, we have to be really careful that we're not carrying extra weight. And so what we can learn to practice, men, is we can learn to practice day-to-day -day awareness of what are we carrying. And then we can practice casting those very things to the Lord. Just like the scripture tells us to do in 1 Peter 5. Cast your anxieties, cast your cares on me because I care for you. This is a daily practice, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've realized uh, about myself that I can be pretty good at casting my cares on the Lord. And I can also be pretty good at reeling them right back in. And taking them back on. You know, sometimes I look like a fly fisherman. Lord, here, I give this to you. And I'll take it right back. And so like five minutes later, Lord, I give this to you again. And I'm going to take it right back. And so this is something that we have to just continue to practice. Of Again, recognizing what, what are you carrying? And are you willing to cast it to the Lord? To give it to him? To make that a daily practice? Here's the third one. Run your race. I was doing some training on the Continental Divide above Treeline, just trying to get some altitude training, and I was out in a pretty 
faraway place. And I bumped into two through hikers that were hiking the Colorado Trail. And they said, what, what are you doing out here running? And so I told him, well, I'm training for this race in Leadville. And he said, oh, I did that a couple years ago. He said, I'm going to give you one piece of advice. Run your race. He said, because you're going to be tempted to look around and start to adjust your race based on the people around you. He said, don't do it. Run your race. And those were like prophetic words for me. Because I can be competitive. And I don't like to be passed. And so when somebody passes me, I start to speed up. And I start to like race that person. Now that's okay if it's a 400 meter dash, right? But in an ultra marathon, that is a bad strategy. And the Lord was teaching me this, not only when I was training and not only in the race, but in life. Teaching me, hey, fix your eyes right here. Run your race. And it's easy for us as guys to compare ourselves. We look around, we see guys crushing it, killing it, having success. And the temptation is to then speed up. The temptation is to then begin to go faster and do more and then want what they have and start to drift. And again and again, guys, you know what Jesus does? He calls us right back to himself. He calls us right back into our lane and he says, run your race. Or as the writers again of Hebrews says, run with endurance the race marked out for you. Jesus has marked out a race for you and he's calling our eyes back to him again and again. Proverbs 4 uh, tells us to let our eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. That's a daily practice. We got to practice that or we will drift. We will compare ourselves. We will speed up. We'll start to run somebody else's race. We got to run our race, the race that Jesus has for us. Here's the fourth one rest and refuel. This is probably one of the most important elements of ultra marathon running. It's been said that ultra marathons are actually an eating and drinking competition with a little running mixed in. Because the last thing you feel like doing when you've been running those, that many miles, is eating or drinking anything. You don't want to do it. And so it's easy just to say no thanks. But if you don't, you're going to hit the wall. You're going to bonk like I did, hard. And so uh, resting, refueling, understanding what we need is so important. And in the Leadville 100, there's an aid station every 10 miles. And if you blow past those aid stations... You're going to pay a price in a matter of miles. You can't, you can't skip the aid stations and still make it. And that's true for God's design for this race. And God has essentially given us an aid station every seven days, hasn't he, with the Sabbath? And it's easy to be in different seasons of life that are hard and demanding. And it's easy to think, well, I'm, just, I'm in a busy season. And so if you blow past that Sabbath Time and time again, there will be a cost down the road for it. We can't cheat God's design to rest, to refuel, to take a deep breath, to take a nap. We, we got to learn to, uh, to enjoy the Sabbath and rest. 
And I also realize that for some of you, you feel guilty about that. You feel guilty about resting, slowing down. And I don't know how to give you any more permission than to say, well, God rested, didn't he? <laughs> it was his design for us to rest, but he modeled what, what rest is. In Genesis uh, 2, verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. God rests. He commands us to rest. It's an aid station. We got to do it. I know we know this, but here, I just want to remind you, I want to put this in front of you as an encouragement, a challenge. How are you doing in this way? Are you resting? Are you refueling? Are you running at a pace that's sustainable? Are you, are you honoring the Sabbath? Because you, we have to if we're going to race uh, for the long haul. And then here's the fifth and final one. Don't run alone. My favorite aspect of the Leadville 100 is they give you a team of pacers, and at mile 50, they come alongside you, and they alternate, just encouraging you, carrying the load. Here, let me carry all your stuff. And they just keep you going. They just make sure, hey, stay the course one step at a time. And that's a great picture of friendship that we all need. We all need these, these, these pacers that come alongside us, and they're for you. And they're encouraging you. And they're holding up your arms when you need it. And they're with you in those dark, cold, lonely moments. And this is the last scripture. This is Jesus, again, modeled this for us in Mark chapter 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He told the other disciples, you stay here. Peter, James, John, come with me. He wanted those guys with him. And he had been cultivating those friendships long before those moments, didn't he? And that's just something else that I want to encourage us to be aware of. If in this season, who are those guys that you have running with you? Who are those guys that know how you're doing? They know you. And if you don't have them, maybe you would say, man, I've been, running, I've been running fast and I've been busy and I've got a lot of acquaintances, but I don't have as many guys that really know me. Well, the reason we do fire teams is to provide an opportunity for just that. So you're not running alone. So I'm not running alone. None of us have to. And so in just a little bit, you're going to hear more about the opportunities we have to engage with the fire team. But we've got groups all over the city. And it's a great way, again, for you to have some guys to come alongside you in this race and for you to do it for them, to come alongside them, to encourage them, to strengthen them. So those are the five things that I want to remind us to, to take seriously in our day-to-day -day lives if we're going to run with endurance is to learn from those who have gone ahead of us, to pay attention to what we're carrying and to cast it onto the Lord, to run our race, to stay focused on Jesus, to rest and refuel, make sure we're running at a good pace, and to not run alone. And if we prioritize those things, guys, I think what's going to happen and we, year after year after year, decade after decade, we'll be able to look up. And we'll be able to say, you know what? I didn't run aimlessly. I did run in a way to get the prize. I did run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And hopefully, we'll be able to echo Paul's words and say, I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. Let it be, Lord. Let it be. Let's pray. Would you open up your hands right where you're at? Father, we want to be men who are able to say that we have fought the good fight, we have finished the race, we have kept the faith. But God, we also know we can't do that without you. We can't do that. We need you, Jesus. We need your strength. We need your life. We need your power. We need your wisdom. We need the relationships that you want to bring into our lives. We look to you, Father, to make this happen. But in a new way, we say yes to this call of running this long race. Help us to live out this long obedience in the same direction, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, all the men said, amen, amen. amen.